Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is created, the Gadigal and Bidjigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to the Ash London podcast. What's this podcast all about? Well, like life, I'm figuring it out as I go. It'll grow and evolve as I do and as you do, hopefully. I want to figure out how to keep living my best life, even when it feels like the world is imploding. It'll be a little bit messy, emotional, confronting, and hopefully we'll be able to laugh about it along the way. I'm dedicating season one to my current season of life. It's called New Mum, Who Dis? And I'm chatting to some incredible women who chose to become mums at the peak of their career. We've had everyone from Miranda Kerr to Leanne Moriarty and more recently, Senator Larissa Waters, who was pretty badass. So if today's your first Ash London podcast experience, I encourage you to get stuck into the back catalogue after this. Life update from me, buddy. My little boy is three and a half weeks old. Imagine your age being counted in weeks. So cute. Um, this past week has been tough. This is now. This isn't me name dropping, even though it kind of is. But when I was about thirty-two weeks pregnant, I was chatting with Ed Sheeran on my radio show, and he just had a baby. He was telling me that the first couple of months you're really in the trenches, and that was kind of how we described it—the trenches. Well, this week I understood. <laughs> me and Adrian are both just completely exhausted. I've never experienced such self-doubt in my life. And then I find myself staring at this perfect, wonderful, beautiful little baby and crying because I can't believe how much I love him and that he belongs to me. All the emotions, but mainly just exhausted. (laughs) So many of you guys have reached out with love and encouragement and I can't even explain how much it's meant. This motherhood thing is incredible, but it's really hard. (laughs) Today's interview is the chat that I wish I had listened to in the hospital before I gave birth to Buddy. There's something in here for everybody, even my male audio producer who's not a mum, messaged me to say how much he got out of it and that it's his favourite so far. So shout-outs to you, Dom. And shout-outs to today's guest, Jamila Rizvi. I could spend the whole 30-minute episode listing off Jamila's bio, but I want to leave some room for the interview. Jamila is an author, CEO, public speaker, podcast presenter, gender equality advocate, and as you'll learn in today's podcast, most importantly to her, she's a mama. Her book, Not Just Lucky, really woke me up to realities at play for women in the world and, if nothing else, taught me to agree with people when they paid me or my work a compliment. She's since released The Motherhood, Untold Resilience and a children's book called I'm a Hero Too. Her latest project sees her host The Secret Life of Carers podcast featuring the stories of mental health carers, highlighting their experiences and insights of supporting the people they care for living with mental illness and psychosocial disability and the additional pressures that COVID has introduced. This experience was reflected in her own life after a brain tumour diagnosis in 2017 saw her husband step up into a carer role as she fought her way back to health. I love this woman, and I know you will too. It's Jamila Rizvi. Hello. Oh, I am so happy to be here. And to be honest, I was starting to get a little bit like snooty about the fact that I hadn't been asked, <laughs> so I'm glad we've rectified it. Well, I'm a mum. Ash, in case you didn't realize, and I'm very important. 
So for everyone who doesn't know, tell us about the little human who who made you a mama. Oh, so um, my son, Ruffy, is six and a quarter. Uh, he would want you to know about that bit. Yes. Um, he was a surprise baby. Um, so I had just become engaged to my now husband. I was 28 and love and life. And I sort of hoped kids would be in my future, but I assumed that it'd be a fair way away yeah. still. Um, and then got a very surprising bout of nausea. And then it finally occurred to me about two weeks later that perhaps I was pregnant. Um, turned out I was. And then, you know, however many weeks later, Ruffy turned up and oh he gosh. is the single best thing I've ever done in my whole life. Oh, I'm 10 days in and I would have to agree. Whole heart. I think I had an hour in, I was like, oh. Girl, this, you did a big thing. Yeah, but this I- is. But, but I was 35, 28. I'm not sure I could have really handled it at 28. Do you think back now and go, Shit, man! I was young. I did. I did good. <laughs> no, I, I don't think so because I know so many people who've had babies way younger than that. I yeah. do look at twenty-two-year-olds or twenty-one-year-olds who have babies and just think, "How? Yeah. Like how? I'll take their energy, but how?" And I think what helped me in a really big way is that my husband's a few years older than me. He's four years older than me. So I had a lot of his mates mm. who were sort of 32, 33 when I had Ruffy. And so while none of my mates had babies, his mates did. And yeah, so I was able gotcha. to kind of jump into that slipstream and feel like I had people around me who were doing the same thing. And I think I was very fortunate that by sort of the six month mark, I had a real posse of other parents mm. around me, particularly other mums who lived close by, who were friends from before, who knew me in my before baby state. <laughs> Um, which became really important to me. I had this real thing of like, oh, people, there are people who will never know me, not as a mum. And early on, I I, I found that I really struggled with that. Now, wouldn't bother me in the slightest. But at the start, I kind of felt like, oh, no, but you don't know what I was like before. I was cool. I was so cool. I was so cool. I didn't know. Actually, that's a lie. I was never cool. (laughs) Yeah. I was cooler. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, my husband's from the country and a couple of years older than me. So that's the double. So most of his friends have got like three kids. We were that couple that were just like power walking and our matching, you know, like no kids, like so, like, you know, footloose and fancy. And now like finally we've like joined in and they're all like you know, so yeah. deep into the kids and we were kind of laugh. So I get it. I get it. You were the couple that used to text at 10 a.m. and say, do you want to have brunch around one? <laughs> And so I think back and I'm like, oh, man, they must have hated us. Um, So what traits um, do you think Rafi has from you and what can you see in him from your husband? Oh, I love that question. Um, He is extremely organised and neat and particular about how things should be. Like when he gets a new toy, and transformer he has to transform it exactly to the rules and then he transforms it exactly back he likes to keep the instructions he likes to keep the plastic in the box all of that <laughs> that is so my husband like that is uh, I am just not like that at all mm. um but he's, he has very particular and very determined like my husband is um I think in terms of me he probably gets a bit of his silliness and his exhibitionism <laughs> 
Um, yeah, he's a really outgoing, performative little kid. Like if you come around for dinner, he will be wearing a tutu and playing the ukulele yes. for you by 8 p.m., you know. Um, uh, and I think he gets a lot of that, a lot of that from me. And I I do think he's very empathetic for yeah. a little kid. And I'm not sure if that's so much a trait that's come from his dad or I, or if it's just come from what he's experienced growing up because you know he's grown up with a mum with a brain tumor since Mm. he was two and a half he doesn't remember anything else and so he's grown up with someone who's supposed to be looking after him being quite sick most of his life and I think that's grown a level of empathy which I'm really proud of Mm. how did you have that kind of what's his view on it what's his understanding of it If, if people bring it up with him what does he say about kind of what happened to help him as a kid who was two and a half is now what, is he six now? Yeah. To kind of understand that. He's changed over time, obviously, because, you know, as he's grown up, he's understood more and more. Mm. And when I first got sick, we named it. And that's what a lot of child psychologists told us to do. Mm -hmm. They said, don't say mummy's a bit sick because then he's going to get tonsillitis and think he has to get his head cut open, you know. Um, so we said, mummy has a brain tumor and, um, uh, we talked about how I needed to go to hospital and I was going to have an operation, but I'd be asleep the whole time. And then in 10 days time, I get to come home again. Um, and that kind of went down pretty well. Mm. I think he managed really well. My husband was amazing with him when I was really acutely unwell. And one of the other things that we were advised to do was find ways for him to be helpful because you want to feel like they can do something and so we talked about how he had to be really gentle with me how he had to give me lots of cuddles um we talked about the importance of washing his hands because like I had an open we don't have a wound in my head for long periods and you know that came in handy with the whole pandemic thing later he was COVID safe but nice and early he could tell everyone Um, a kinder how to do it um just the last six months or so pretty much since he's turned um just around the age of six he started to become a little bit more funny about it he doesn't like people talking about me having had operations or when I was acutely ill he's okay with the kind of chronic illness and disabilities exist now day to day in fact he's very good with them he's very kind and sweet and understanding but he doesn't like talking about that acutely ill period. So it's interesting. We're sort of watching him process it over a really long space of time. It's like, it, it is so interesting to for him in that developmental age and for you to kind of watch how that changes. That to yeah. me is, you know, it's really interesting. And he's so cute. I know that's so lame to say, but God, he's good looking. Yeah, he is. He looks like his dad. He's very, very cute. And he's got this mop of ridiculous curly hair. Um, Was he born with curls? Because obviously you know me and Adrian, we have curls. And Buddy's got straight hair. But I'm like, a baby's even born with curls or does it develop? So he had nothing. Yeah, no, he was like pretty much bald when he did have hair. It was like little straight bits. Like my sister and I were both. Very dark-haired, curly, mop of hair, brown-haired babies, brown eyes. And when I got this little baby who had blue eyes and like (laughs) the thinniest bit of blonde hair but mostly bald, I remember just being like, are you sure? Yeah. Are you sure sure that one's my one? Because we're ethnic and we assume that our genes will just take over our white boy husbands. I assumed I would have a one-eyebrowed, like, lebo kid and I have my husband but a baby. Who doesn't? Yep. He looks nothing like me. Everyone says, "Oh, he's Adrian." And I'm like, I did not see this coming. But I think, I think, and I 
you know, in the great phrase of 2021, I'm not an epidemiologist, nor am I any kind of doctor, but I believe babies, aren't they supposed to look like their dads when they're little? Because in the ye olde days, it was supposed to keep the dad hanging around. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Because as you know, Adrian is the kind of guy that would just piss off and go and, you know, cheat on He is such an asshole. I'm like, oh, God, now I'm stuck with him because I've had a baby. No, I'm just kidding. So what was family life growing up for you, speaking of you and your sister, when it came to kind of the way you were parented and the way that you kind of, if you wanted to be a mom, when you wanted to be a mom, how you imagined you would be a mom, if you imagined you would be a mom? Yeah, I think as a little kid I always wanted to be a mom. And then sort of as a teenager and in my early 20s, I wasn't so sure that was what I wanted anymore. And I think I was still unsure when I got Mm. pregnant. Um, And then I actually think it was Jeremy's reaction that affirmed it because I I sort of had to tell him because it was this big shock. And I just got back from Sydney. I did one pregnancy test before I got on the plane. (gasps) positive why would you do that Jamila it was really stupid and it had come in a double pack and I was like must be wrong so just sculled orange juice on the plane ride from Sydney to Melbourne got off in Melbourne did the second test in the bathroom at the airport in Melbourne also positive and then I had to text Jez and be like he was going to a party that night that I wasn't going to (laughs) before baby (laughs) I just said oh do you mind not going tonight I need to talk to you and he said he just was like okay so either she's breaking up with me or she's pregnant. Yeah. And w- when I told him, he jumped in the air and was like, I'm going to be a dad. He was so happy. I think partly because it meant he wasn't being dumped. Um, <laughs> he was so happy. And that kind of just did it for me. I was like, oh, okay, good. Yep, baby, bring it on. We're doing um, this. The second I saw his reaction. And um, I think as a kid, that sort of wasn't front of mind as me. I was a kid who grew up idolizing my dad. Interesting. And I think as a child, I, I wanted to be like him. I wanted to have a job like him. I wanted to play sport like him. I wanted to be like him. And I think I took a lot of my mum for granted Mm. and a lot of the role she played as the main homemaker in our family, the main parent, to be honest, in our family. And it wasn't until I had kids of my own that I went, oh, wow, she she was a really great mum. Yeah, like wow. I always knew, knew she was a good mum, but I think I took it for granted. And it's only been with that sort of hindsight that I've gone, actually, we had a really extraordinary childhood. We had such a safe, secure, loving childhood that um, mum did stuff with us that was so much effort. <laughs> I think about it now, I'm like, mum! CPF mum! Kind of one that would save for, you know, for over a month, she'd save the milk cartons and the cereal boxes and then we'd create an entire city in the living room out of cardboard. And, like, I think about that now and I'm like, well, that sounds hard. Too hard. Ain't nobody got time for that. No. That's amazing. Um, But she was. She was an extraordinary mum. That's beautiful. You knew at some point you may want to be a mum. You're in your 20s and you're thinking, actually, I'm kind of liking my life now and my life as it is and I'm pretty smart and I've got a feeling that I'm going to be pretty successful in my life and I'm already seeing some of that success and this feels pretty good and I'm pretty cool and people admire me. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying I'm talking from personal experience. That's exactly how I felt, but I'm just like, you know, reading the room here. I think I felt like I didn't have time. I was like, where am I going to fit this baby in? And I was so focused on my work and my first full-time job 
I worked in politics yeah. in Canberra and a lot of the people I worked with didn't have kids. A lot of those people went on to have kids. Yeah. But you became senior quite young. In I worked in um, Kevin Rudd's office when he was prime minister and a lot of his senior staff were young, you know. I thought they were old because I was 22, wow. but they were 30, you know. Yeah, so of course and, no and one they, had kids. They were running the government. Wow. You know, like it was extraordinary, right? But I sort of saw that as like, well, that, therefore that's what I want to do and they're doing it without kids and how would you do that with a baby? Gotcha. And so I think it that just the idea sort of took a back seat for me because mm. I was so focused on my work. And now, you know, I can't have more children because I've been unwell. And I just look back and think what extraordinary luck that I got pregnant when I did because we wouldn't, so we wouldn't have had a baby at all, I don't think. Wow. I got, you know, I got diagnosed when I was 31. I don't think I would have, I don't think I would have chosen to have kids before that. Yeah. Because um, 31 is still for us, I think, young to have kids. Yeah. I felt like 35 was young to have kids and they were they were telling me I was like, you know, an old at-risk mother. And I'm thinking, yeah. but I'm so young. Like I am putting so much strong. aside to do this. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I, I do think having kids grows you up really fast because mm. you don't really have a choice. Um, you know, it's an, it's no longer an optional responsibility. It's it, it's, yeah. it's part of what you have to do and who you are and you don't get to sub out very often. Um, But at the same time, I do think your life just starts to change and you're in that, that deep trenches, just grind it through, get it through. But that in the scheme of things, while it feels like it's forever, it actually doesn't last very long. Mm. And then your world just starts to shift around it. And, you know, before COVID, I think of how we we used to live with huge barbecues at our house with children running everywhere every weekend and people staying late into the night and putting kids to sleep upstairs, six of them in one bed, you know, and it just, there's some of the happiest yeah. memories I've got and I can't wait to be allowed to do that again. Was it ever part of you that looked at motherhood and the idea of motherhood when you were kind of in your 20s and you're working, you're looking around, no one's doing it? Not with a negative slant, but just with a sense of, because mm. I remember there was part of me that thought, and I, I'm ashamed of myself now, but I looked at my friends who were having kids in their 20s and early 30s and thought, oh, well, you know, not for me. And it, there, there was a kind of a negativity around that, which I'm ashamed of now. But did you ever sense that? Yeah, I think so. Um, I definitely wasn't really into babies. I quite yeah. liked small children. Like yeah. I've always been someone who likes hanging out with little kids. I was never very interested in babies because mm. they didn't do anything and they couldn't talk. Nah. Uh, <laughs> What's in it for me, kid? <laughs> I'm still not massively into babies. I'm into my friend's babies. Yeah. Like if I'm attached to that baby because yes. I enjoy its parents' company, sure. But like random baby on the street, I'm not one of those women that's like, ah, like I couldn't kill it. Yeah. I like my babies and I like my friends and my family's yeah. babies. But if I see um, a dog, I'm like, ah. Dog's totally different. <laughs> totally love his dog. Um and I think there was a little part of me that thought mothering was kind of ordinary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like anyone can do that. But if you've got a certain set of determinations and hopefully abilities to match them, then you can do something really special. Yeah, I think, that, uh, I think that that's what sense. I told myself for a really long time. Me too. And, you know, I said at the start of this chat, he's the best thing I've ever done. I stand by that. I, I, I'm not just saying that. 
he's also the best thing I ever will do. Yeah. Like no matter what I come up with, that kid's my contribution yeah. to the world. He's my contribution to equality. He's my contribution to feminism. He's my contribution to whatever, uh-huh. right? Whatever he chooses to do, raising a good human is an extraordinary way to make your own way in the world and yeah. to do something for the better. Yeah. And so, then- yeah, I do feel a bit, I don't think I feel ashamed, but I feel a just a bit silly. Yeah. Silly is the word. I would agree 100% with everything you've just said. And like I said earlier, it took me about an hour to realize after I met the kid, but maybe half an hour. It definitely took me longer than that. A couple of months. I thought, oh my gosh. And then I thought of my friends that have multiple kids and I thought, oh, I bowed down. I like, like, what I was a sh- I was silly is the word you silly yeah. little girl you really had no idea. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. That's how I feel. I do remember on one of my, like, first walks out of the house on my own, like, probably it would have been around where you're at now, right? Like, it would have been the first week or two. And I remember walking with Ruffy in the pram and it was just a big thing to just get him dressed and in mm. the pram without help. And I yeah. was just like. Was- oh, gosh. I can't imagine doing that without Adrian there to like, oh. It was a big day. And I remember walking down Smith Street in Collingwood in Melbourne and just <laughs> seeing all these mums and being like, and you had a baby? <laughs> you had a baby? His childbirth was so strong and bright in my mind still. Mm. I was like, and you did it? And you did it. Yeah. All of you did it. It's <laughs> like, so true. Seeing it all for the first time because you hear about childbirth, you see it on movies, you see it on TV shows. Your parents tell you how hard it is and all that, and none of it compares to yeah. what it actually is. I, yeah, you're absolutely right. In your intro for the motherhood, you talk about how tightly controlled your life was before you were a mum. I'm interested to know what that kind of how that manifested, like what your life how you controlled it as that kind of 20-something-year-old career woman. Yeah. I struggled the first six weeks particularly, the first three months probably more generally, but I think the first six weeks were the hardest. I, all right, now I'm going to sound really silly, but (laughs) you guys are all just going to have to go with it. When I took Ruffy home from the hospital, I kind of felt like I'd won an Oscar. Yeah. Like, or how I imagine it would be if I won an Oscar. Like everyone was coming to see me and telling me like that I was amazing. <laughs> everyone wanted to see my Oscar statue and be like, oh, wow, it's an Oscar. It's and tell me how rad it was and how incredible I was. And I loved that. And then somewhere around the 10 weeks, two, 10 days, two weeks in, people sort of started to slow yeah. in coming to see me. And it was just me and my husband went back to work after a week and my family lived interstate. And then it was just me and the Oscar at home and I had to look after it and not do anything else. (laughs) And I didn't like it when no one was telling me I was good at stuff anymore. It really hit me that I was not going back to the life I'd had. Mm. And 
at that point I couldn't see I couldn't see the wood for the trees, right? Like I couldn't see my way to the other side of how this new life would be made that made everything possible, mm. that made, meant I could be a working person and a mother. I, I honestly felt like I was going to be as things were at 10 days for the rest of my life till this yeah. child was 18. And I was devastated. Like I remember yelling at my husband that I had ruined my life at one point. Like I, I was very unhappy and not coping. Um, And then... Yeah, I think it was around the five or six week mark. It was like mothering kind of clicked. Mm. I kind of felt like I was in a bit of a routine. I was, I felt comfortable taking the baby on my own and going to a coffee shop and sitting with a friend, which I hadn't felt at sort of that yeah. 10 day mark. I didn't, I, it was such a big exercise to go out of the house and see a friend. Um, I felt like I had some more freedom and I, I think it got better from there. And for, for me, I think everything really changed at sort of five, six months when. Um, we moved house and we moved into a neighbourhood where I had a lot of Jeremy and my good friends who had little kids nearby, Beautiful. who had little kids with babies, and they were within like within a kilometre's walking distance. They were all really close. And that sense of community of we're in this together, I can call one of them and say, he's driving me mental, can you come mm. sit with me for a bit? And I just felt like I had people, I had comrades around me. Yeah. Through. And suddenly motherhood, gave me entry to this gang I wanted to be a part of as opposed to making it it making me feel separate yeah it's beautiful and at what point did you start to feel like you could dream again for yourself or start to think of yourself as a separate entity to your baby that still had things that you wanted to do and achieve and that you could do that how long did that take and how did it kind of come about I think I had the dreaming from day one. I don't think the dreaming ever went yeah. away. It was that, is this possible? And how would I actually make that happen bit that took some time? I think it was probably somewhere around the six-month mark. Mm-hmm. Um, I went back to work at four months and I had a really bad experience. Um, I was really unhappy. I think I had outgrown that job and that job had outgrown me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a really emotionally fraught, difficult experience. That's tough. Um, to go was, back to work and it's supposed to be this kind of liberating thing that's going to make you feel like yourself again and it's the opposite. That's that's yeah. shitty. Yeah. So I got out of work by six months and um, uh, I went, I became a freelance writer, I signed a book deal and I kind of created and I, like I, I recognise how incredibly fortunate I was that I had a job where this was possible, yeah. right? There are so many occupations where this would not have been possible but I was able to build a way of working around myself that was flexible, mm. um, that could work around having uh, some days at home with my son, having nanny some days, having my husband home some days. We both had work three days a week at one point, which was just perfect because mm. we got lots of time with Ruffy each on our own as well as together. And I was writing in cafes and I was getting some consulting kind of work done. And it was just such a lovely balance for me. Um, I was just really happy and at peace with my work but there was a really fraught few months in there where I I think I I, my confidence was just completely shattered Mm. and how hard was it for you to actually make that decision to walk away were you able to say if this is not worth it for how unhappy it's making me I was part of you thinking if I give this up there may not be another opportunity so I have to just suck it up I wanted to quit on my first day back (laughs) um and on my first day back I flew into state on my own with Ruffy, which was hard. 
That to me is my biggest fear is hopping on a plane with Buddy. <laughs> I think of that now and I'm like. you got to oh, do it oh, God, with yeah. help. And then once you've done it once, it becomes easier. But, yeah, I remember the first one just being like because we flew, I think, at six weeks for the first time in state for a wedding. It was was one of my dearest friend's weddings. So we had to go. And I, like, oh, just the thought, like, this baby might cry on the plane. People hate me. And then you're just like, yeah. (laughs) And you will land at the other end and that will be it. Like it, it, that will happen. Yes. It's okay, you know. Um, but it, you know what? It is tough. It is really intense in those in those early weeks because it does feel like it's out of control and you're not sure and you do feel like people are judging you. But I, yeah, I, I do think um, it was a really big leap for me. I, I think a lot of my identity was tied up in work. It was tied up in a title. It was oh. tied up in a role, and um, letting that go felt like letting go of of who I was. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, I, I did find that incredibly hard to do. But it was definitely the right thing that, you know, I, I, as I said, from the first day back, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And um, Jez, my partner, said, you've got to stick it out six weeks because he was like, you know, I think any transition back to work after a baby is yeah. hard. And he was like, let's stick it out six weeks. If you still feel like this in six weeks, bail. Yeah. I think that was really good advice because yeah. it meant when I did quit, I was sure. Yeah, absolutely. No regrets. Yeah. And do you feel like now you have a healthier, you have been able to build a healthier distinction between your identity and your work and your role as a mother as these separate things? Or, I mean, I imagine that's something that I'd probably, I will always struggle with this idea that what I do doesn't define me. Um, and I'm just, I, I don't think I'll ever get there, but how, where are you kind of on that scale now? I think I'm still someone who's very much defined by my work. Yeah. But I think that's because I love working. Yeah, you know, I not everyone is gets to love what they get paid for, yeah, right? True. I do, so I think it's okay to define myself through that. But you know, knowing that I fell sick only a couple of years after Ruffy was born, I actually think that was made easier because I'd had Ruffy because mm. I had had that period long stretches of not working before. I think if I'd gotten sick and it was the first time in my life I'd had to take six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, however long out for that recovery away from work, I think I would have really gone to a very dark place for a long time. Whereas I'd done that before. I had this sense of it's okay to take time away from work. Mm. It's okay to put time into this recovery and for my number one priority right now to be my own body and getting well again and not be achievement at work. And so I do think it, I do think it helped. Mm. It's interesting. My psychologist told me when I was kind of prepping for motherhood that a lot of it really is ordinary and boring and you have to be prepared to sit in the ordinary and the boringness of it. Yeah. And I and I am glad she said that when she did because it's given me a lot of time to really think about it. But I yeah. imagine in both of those processes, new motherhood and recuperating from your illness, there was just a lot of time where you're just stuck in the ordinary and I can't do anything. I can't go out and create something or I, you know, the, all I can do is just sit here and rest and wait for my body to heal. And fuck, that would have, that would have been tough. Yeah, for sure. Especially when, you know, your achievement for the day is I stood up and I walked around the ward. Yeah. That's what I achieved today. And maybe tomorrow I will walk around twice Mm. or maybe I won't walk around it at all. Yeah. Like I think that's hard for people who are really driven by that sense of achievement and get their satisfaction from doing the next thing or making the next thing. 
I, I do think that's quite a painful thing to go through for anyone, but particularly if you've got that kind of mindset. It's funny now I feel like you're well and truly making up for any time you spent in the ordinary and the boring because it, I don't know how you, I look at everything you're creating now and I'm like, and people say the same to me. They're like, you do so much. And I'm like, no, I don't. It's just my life and it's I enjoy it and it doesn't feel like a lot. But off the top of my head, I was trying to think of of the things that I knew that you did and I got to like 10. So we had the briefing, Tea with Jam and Claire, Future Women, Anonymous as Woman, The Secret Life of Carers, a new podcast. And this is just like, People can't see that I'm just holding my two fingers together in a little bit. Um, so how do you now keep a lid on it? How do you make sure that you don't go to the bad place of too much, too much, too much? Yeah. Um, my body doesn't let me. Yeah, okay. It's actually not, you know, so last year um, I ended up in hospital three times with something called an adrenal crisis, which can happen to me now because of um, parts of my brain that don't work anymore. Mm. Um, an adrenal crisis is a life-threatening condition. You can die very, very quickly, you know, within a day or so as a result of it. And I put myself there. Mm. I put myself there by pushing myself too hard every single time. Um, the first one, I'd been travelling, doing speeches for International Women's Day. Um, you know, one of them I'd been travelling for something else, doing something else. I hadn't been having a lot of sleep. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, I think I'm learning that lesson because my body is putting a stopper on it and it's saying, no, you don't get to do this anymore. You don't have the strength or the stamina that you used to and this body cannot hold up under that. So I think I don't have a choice. Mm. Um, I think I've also gotten very good at going, okay, this is my maximum and my maximum usually pushes my limits, but it's yeah. my maximum. So now when an opportunity comes along, I try to say to myself, if you want to take that, you've got to give something up. Gotcha. I have a, a, one amazing doctor who always says, at any one point in time, you can only have three priorities. Stop pretending to me you can have 12 priorities because you can't. You can't do 12 things well. And he said, if you are prioritising your family, your work at Future Women and your health, you don't have room for anything else. So you've got to think very carefully about what else you take on mm. because you are, if you take that on you have to accept you're going to do some of the other things badly and you know at the moment with the pandemic we're also homeschooling and so looking after Ruffy yeah. is more complex and more time consuming than it is normally but also it's almost more important because we're not just his parents we're his teacher yeah well you're doing it all you're getting it done sister I love it well that makes it even more special that you gave me some of your time today to talk about this. I really appreciate it. And you know that I appreciate you so much. And Adrian and I love you heaps. Right back at you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for doing this when you are so soon after having given birth and well, had this. I wasn't meant to have him yet. <laughs> he was meant to be a week away still. <laughs> he wasn't supposed to be here. This no. wasn't how it was supposed to be. But also, honestly, I think of the people in my life and and who would make the most extraordinary parents and you and you and Adrian are at the top of that list and I just think you're going to have a ball. Thanks, May. We're already having a ball, but I think he still thinks he's in the womb at this point because he's still not even <laughs> at full term. So we keep having to remind ourselves that shit's going to get real, but for now we will just enjoy the enjoy, fact that he's a blob. sleepy baby. Enjoy it. <laughs> Jamila Risby, thank you so much for coming on the Ash London podcast. We love you. Take care. Stay safe. And I'll see you, who knows when, at some point in the future for a big hug. Thanks, Ash. 
Well, I can confirm that since this podcast was recorded, Buddy has well and truly woken up to the fact that he's no longer in the womb. In fact, my mom is holding him in the other room right now with a bottle of expressed milk on hand because I needed her to come and help. How good are moms? Well, that's it for episode seven of the Ash London podcast, New Mum, Who Dis? Next week, something a little different. It's a bonus episode, um, something that you guys have asked for. I will be sitting down with a new dad, Who Dis? My own husband. Me and Adrian are going to be discussing our own thoughts, fears and experiences going into this parenthood thing and then uh, some reflections on the first month. This is something we've never done before and I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. So stay tuned for that one. If you like today's episode and want to support the project, I'd love it if you'd subscribe and leave a review. But more importantly, I want to hear from you. You can shoot me an email anytime. Hello at ash.london. Big love, guys. Audio production on the Ash London podcast is by Dom Evans. Research is by Maddie Hewson. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.